0: Are you interested in attending one of the field's largest gatherings of K through 12 education innovators? The Aurora Institute Symposium 2023 promises community lessons about education innovation from the field and the latest research and policy to support education transformation. We know that after attending, you will leave equipped to take immediate action in advancing next generation learning designs. This event will take place October 15th through the 17th, 2023 in Palm Springs, California. You can find out more at aurora-institute.org. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Rebecca Middles. Today, I'm joined by Lori Gagneau, Competency Works Program Director and author on some recent publications from the Aurora Institute, Next Generation Credentials, and the Work-Based Learning Policy. We will add the links to these publications in the show notes. Hey there, Lori. Hey. (laughs) Also, as an example of states moving forward to help advance innovations in its personalized competency-based learning pilot program, Utah has partnered with the Mastery Transcript Consortium to provide the learner record and resources to schools and districts making the shift. We're excited to have Corey Henwood, Innovation Director at Iron County Schools in Utah, join us to discuss some of this work, which was highlighted in the recent Aurora Institute report. Hello, Corey.
1: Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's get started according to unesco next gen credentials will record focused learning achievements they will verify what learners know understand and can do how might next gen credentials address the challenges of verifying and recognizing learners diverse skills and competencies while also aligning with quality assurance standards
2: yeah this is at the heart of it uh, our current, you know, the typical high school transcript in K-12 now, a high school transcript is a, a laundry list of courses um, that a student took in high school and the grades that they got. And we don't really know what that represents. Like, we know that there's variability um, in what skills and knowledge students have as that led to those grades. And um, it's not capturing the full breadth of um, of, what a, of what a learner can do and in the future. Uh, and we know that going forward, um, learning and the world of work is dynamic and ongoing. And the more that the learner knows what they know, um, the more they're gonna be equipped to navigate that world. So competency-based education may, is built around making it clear what are the skills and competencies that a learner knows and we see models. We see people implementing uh, competency-based education, but stopping just short, right, of um, of changing the transcript. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that, right? It can be intimidating with your community. Um, people are comfortable, right, with a with with A's, B's, and C's, and they they feel like they know what that means because that's what they experienced. Um, so those those can be communication issues. But really, when we think about how do we know what learners know, shifting to competency-based education means having evidence for all of those competencies and having local processes that are supported right, by guardrails at the state um, and federal level, but that are really owned at the local level to say, we know what evidence has gone into certifying this learning. And I think those local processes really set the stage for um, the quality insurance assurance piece um, that you're talking about. And they sort of open up, right? If we can have those processes in place and change how we're communicating and change how learners are owning that record, um, then learners are better equipped, right? To navigate that the world and we're signaling, right? And showing, oh, there's value here, right? for For this high school transcript beyond I graduated or I didn't.
0: I think what I hear you say, well, many of us in the field of personalized learning have supported that revision for transcripting, as you mentioned. And what I think, what I also appreciated that you highlighted is how many often, you know, stop early. I don't want to say fall short because maybe they're still in process, but can be easy to kind of stop short of that in the work. What I think I hear you saying is that Aurora sees this as a really important element to advancing competency-based education and that that's really important because it's also part of the storytelling. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think that that is true. And you, know, you can't just change your reporting system and think everything is going to change in the learning, but the field is at a place where we have enough systems that are developed and are really based around teaching a, a broader set of knowledge, skills, and dispositions Uh, And so much of that information is getting lost. So as you implement and develop your system, right, you naturally want to align, right, these pieces. And I think the transcript is one of those pieces where we can align to the rich learning that's happening. Um, And, you know, we now have enough places that I think have that, have the groundwork laid. And I think there's a Um, a case to be made right in building momentum in the field that this is possible. Uh, And there's a little bit of a, who goes, who goes first, right? I think, especially with the transcript and there's often um, not just the familiarity that I mentioned before of like, well, I got A's and B's and I knew what that meant. uh, But also the concerns about um, getting into college and um, having access to the things that a high GPA um, promises and even though there are ways, right, where um, competency-based transcripts are accepted at a lot of universities, um, I think that uh, fear of the unknown makes people um, kind of happy to stay with something that's maybe not not working um, as well today as it, um, you know, as it could.
0: Yeah, as opposed to, I mean, I think some of us uh, listening to this can remember the standards-based reporting movement where everyone changed their report cards for standards, but didn't necessarily change what was happening in the classrooms, but thought that somehow that would make it happen. So I love that we're also highlighting the flip side. Sometimes I can stop short, too, and both are really important. You highlighted that there are some great examples out there. Any ones that you would want to mention?
2: yeah I'll mention um I'll mention them all briefly kind of as headlines and we can maybe dig into um, Mastery Transcript Consortium um, which is being used um, by by Cory in um, in Iron County in Utah. So New Zealand is a countrywide example that um, has a so it's a little bit different. It's maybe the size it's like the size of a median state uh, in terms of population, but there's maybe um, more national national control of certain aspects of of things so they have a learner record that is uh, competency-based and uh, instead of the courses it lists the actual skills and the level at which they were demonstrated Uh, and there's the ability as well to add uh, micro-credentials that students earn post-secondary so there's a a longevity right Uh, this is a useful document um, beyond just just the high school level. And so at a countrywide level, which is maybe more equivalent to a state, right? this is the way they're organizing their transcript, not by courses, but by what has actually been learned. And that's, I think, parallel to, in some ways, the format that the Mastery Transcript Consortium transcript tool and the Learner Record is offering, where credits are by competency, right? Their competency credits, and you can still see the learning experiences, which are often still courses, but also could be things like internships and work-based learning, um, independent projects, and or interdisciplinary. They might not be uh, English one, English two format, um, but might have more innovative interdisciplinary um, course titles. So that can still be seen, but what, is, what you lead with is the set of competencies that a student has demonstrated right, to earn their, uh, their diploma. And so that is really just shifting, right, to a focus on let's really communicate what the skills are that a student has learned. And there's a way to then click into a curated set of evidence, right, so that you can see examples of the work. So there's a little bit of a portfolio feature there. So those two are rethinking the transcript. They're flipping it from being a list of courses that happened in a certain order in time. And instead they're saying, what did these learning experiences lead to in terms of what I actually know and can do? The third example is a little bit more, um, it's a different kind of credential than the high school diploma. So it's not a transcript for a traditional high school diploma. Instead, it is a credential that is equivalent. And it's really a portfolio of learning along I think it's five um, dimensions that the student demonstrates um, in a very personalized and individualized way with a variety of learning experiences a graduation project internships um, and uh, and learning reflections feedback from the community and it started in Australia but is being piloted in the United States now and um, it started, you know, in a, at Big Picture Learning Australia, which is a model built around a combination of um, real world internship type experiences and learner-led seminars, uh, so a very different format. And the the sort of question that kids were facing was, well, if I'm going to then go to take the equivalent of the SAT in Australia, do I need to go back to a traditional format of schooling in order to get into a university? And so they actually partnered with universities, and I think um, nearly half of universities in Australia have accepted the international big picture learning credential in lieu of a traditional transcript Um, so that's a really interesting model to really push well what would it look like to say that i'm ready for the world
0: and we will provide examples and links to this um, in and when we share this podcast out so you'll be able to see those and and investigate and look at those more i'm very familiar with that work that big picture is doing so it's wonderful to see that highlighted and corey i'm going to get to you in just a second but real quick um Laura, could you talk about what you think the best routes are to enable that change and remove barriers, particularly for people who are listening at a state level? We could start with like what what policies would you recommend that would help really enable that kind of change and remove what people whether they perceive them to be true or not are barriers.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So in broad strokes, right, the first step is to really support innovative models and competency-based models. And a lot of states are doing that. They're making space for credits determined by competency, not not having to fit into a Carnegie unit or a seat time model. Um, And they've developed portraits of a graduate, right, which kind of set the set models of what what the skills and dispositions that we want learners to have, is it's broader than just the academics and creating ways to credit and certify the learning that happens outside of the classroom walls so there's a broader shift to enable enable different ways of learning and creating multiple pathways and valuing a broader set of skills that we know kids need and then there's the specifics of allowing people to pilot Um, Right, so um, North Dakota is one of the examples where they're piloting a digital wallet, right, so what does it look like to have your high school transcript, your document, um, not um, be uh, in a sealed envelope with a registrar's signature on it that you pay $10 for and get, get in the mail. Um, so, you know, actually enabling and trying out like what is the infrastructure, can we pilot? Of course, it really matters what goes on that, right? If, if there's still a list of courses with grades, then maybe that's less useful than um, if you have actually competency areas and examples. Um, so I think supporting innovation and pilots and seeing what's possible and really studying that, I think, Um, Are ways to get started. And there's a lot that's happening. So how do do we bring the innovation um, into a coherent space and say, how are we really building this system that allows for this to happen so that we then can know what does quality look like and be able to give feedback right into local systems um, so that they're actually ready and they are communicating um, reliable and valid information about what students have learned.
0: That's great. I th- I, so innovative policies and practices, certainly, and we do have states that are more local control and some that are not. But I also, I mean, I, we've talked about innovation zones. So sometimes if you don't need an innovation zone our way for one, it could just be really having that right policy in place, particularly with the work that we've been doing around portraits of a graduate, we're seeing a lot of states surface that. So wonderful opportunities for those to kind of lead to that direction. Um, Corey. You were involved in the early work in Utah's exploration of personalized, competency-based education. I think school visits, the task force. Can you share a bit about that stage in the beginning and what it entailed for those that are listening?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, Happy to. I know um, I was lucky enough to be part of a committee that was involved in some of that early exploration of personalized, competency-based learning. And after Some policies were enacted by the legislature, including a grant series that allowed for uh, local schools and districts to be involved. Uh, We were involved in a space around determining what exactly that meant. At the time, the definition was a little uh, less defined for our state and also what that looked like in practice. So we were able to visit uh, schools across the country. I was able to go to uh, Kettle Moraine School District for one that uh, really was uh, an eye opener for for me and the others who visited, which was an excellent uh, Kickstarter to some of the work that we did further on in that grant series, implementing and expanding that work in our schools and districts. So,
0: So Kettle Moraine, we write about them quite a bit and and they're really known for their um, teacher-led pathways and professional learning. Is that what the piece that was inspiring for you is just to think about ways you would organize to build capacity?
1: Yeah, I think um, part of the pieces that were interesting to me were their portrait of a graduate, which we hadn't defined yet, either as a state or as a district. Um, some of their work in more personalized learning space to allow students and give them the customized supports they need in order to meet those competencies. That was certainly another piece. And uh, of course, the flexibility around um, teacher leadership and some other things were were elements of that too, I think. But overall, we were just really impressed with the work they had done in allowing for more choice schools you know series of charters within their district uh, to allow for those opportunities for parents and students interested in that type of education to engage in it Um, so that's that's a model that we took to our school and our district uh, to to really allow for more magnet type programs these kind of innovation zones within our district uh, to have students access that and families access that that were most interested and start with the willing if you will
0: Yes, the willing, the coalition of the willing. Um, I don't know if you use this continuum, but they have this great one too that is about when you are more teacher directed or curriculum directed, when it becomes more student focused and then student led. And I think that can be a really helpful continuum because, you know, we're not always in one, right? There are times when we have to kind of spread that around. And I think that's really helpful piece for people. And I kind of hear you talking about that. Did this lead then to the Launch Academy? Is that where you would? go next in that in that phase
1: yeah so um from i guess this series of exploration in this grant series we then were offered um basically an opportunity to look at implementing this and in a planning grant that we were offered that allowed us to bring in teachers and community partners students who were interested and parents to help design what a program like this might look like. And it ended up uh, being Launch High School was the first uh, program in this. And so we have, uh, we went through a series of this planning grant allowed us to travel to go see other places that were doing this type of work. We visited uh, some XQ schools, one in particular in Florida, Cy High uh, was a great inspiration for our group. Uh, that school and others had really uh, emphasized help us not just uh, use that process in the school, but also to design the school and uh, to gain feedback from others and ultimately implement the school in the next phase of that grant series implementation grant that lasted the next two years. And now the last two years of it has been an expansion grant series uh, that has allowed us to expand the practices that we found successful at launch through other schools in the district and other teams and teachers that are willing to explore those practices and use them in their classroom. So it's been a wonderful uh, journey to be on and has uh, led us, you know, in partnership with the Mastery Transcript Consortium to really make best use of these types of next generation credentials.
0: What a wonderful partnership. So often getting to see sites is so key in this journey. Um, we have taken people to High and I wanted to know if, if how that influenced because what I think most people don't know about that XQ School is it's a part of a very large high school where students come in and out of that program and they're shared FTEs and sometimes we'll want to see what that looks like and so I think it's really unique. Is Launch Academy like that? Do you have students that are there for with you part time or is it with are those students with you the full day? I know they leave to go do community projects, but are they accountable to you for the full day?
1: They are for the full day. However, uh, you know, their and their school membership and record is launch high. However, students can leave the school for other classes on their other day. So we use an A day B day schedule. And on their B day, if you will, they would return potentially to their boundary school to take advantage of, you know, their gymnasium or their large wood shop or other things that we just don't have at the school. Or they could take those classes online. So we see a mix of those or with our other partner programs at the universities and colleges next to us. So, so uh, yeah, w- while they're with us for a day, they're engaging in uh, project-based learning, very personalized and self-directed learning and uh, demonstrating competency that they have understood the key competencies meant for each course and, and each uh, class that they take here with us at Watch.
0: You can see how that AB structure would be great for the leave to learn big picture model as well. Right. So like the two days a week. And so it's great that you highlight that's, Um, You call your Portrait of a Graduate the Iron Essential 8, and I believe these are used as credit areas for the Mastery Transcript. Can you share highlights about what that process would look like if people are thinking about making a shift like this?
1: Yeah, so we've taken this partnership that the state's offered in the grant series with Mastery Transcript as an opportunity to focus on our Portrait of a Graduate and highlight what were previously the... uh, undefined or unquantified areas of learning right with uh, these essential skills and the essential skills designated by our community have been called the iron essential eight include you know the four c's if you will as well as uh, resilience growth mindset financial literacy responsibility to name a few others so we've basically taken that piece and incorporated them into the master credit areas in our transcript Now, students at Launch High School, for example, engage in a lot of projects where they're both developing and exhibiting these essential skills on a regular basis, and so they can take evidence from those projects and the work that they've done, both in the community and at the school, and take those pieces of evidence and attach them to mastery credits in those areas. And that's what's really exciting about these types of credentials, is you get a a a bigger picture of what the students are and of, and what they've been able to do and accomplish than you would with what's been traditionally just a little more um, less complicated for an admissions officer to look at a single number around gpa or around a standardized test score and as those numbers become a little less uh, indicative of success at the post-secondary level some of those you know around state uh, or you know uh, standardized test scores not being required for admission Admissions officers are, are looking for other ways to differentiate and to uh, highlight students that might be most successful at their institutions. So that's what we found as we've sent some of these uh, transcripts out to our local and, and beyond local universities. So
0: mm, That's great to hear. What a great partnership. A lot of great work happening with the Mastery Transcript team as well at state levels and um, wonderful to hear it at the school level from your perspective. Yeah, I
2: think that's a one thing to highlight about the Utah case is the way that the state is creating the space, right? They and they're involving they're involving local educators from the beginning, right, in visiting schools and then really creating, they've, they've been very systematic at expanding their cohorts in the grant program. So even though some districts maybe, um, and some of the districts in, in Utah are are giant compared to what we see out you know, uh, on the East Coast, Um so some may just be getting started, but it's nearly half of the K-12 public education students in Utah are in a district that's affiliated and is, has a, a, a grant um, in the personalized competency-based learning. And so just allowing that space and encouraging, I think, is a real model, as well as facilitating partnerships, right? such as with uh, mastery transcript consortium so that those tools are available. And I think kind of creating that space and making those connections makes it a lot easier, I think, to engage in this work. Uh, And hopefully that also brings out communication loops where they can see where the barriers are in the work and then work again, it's all about alignment and aligning um, policies so that this work can happen.
0: I would like to pitch at this point how useful the resources are that Aurora has around communication too. I think it's really helpful for people who are talking about this at a school district, regional state level to have those visuals, the data and all of those wonderful white papers. So just Letting people know we've got great communication resources to help as you get this word out and how to bring people in. I know we're talking about making sure teachers are at the very beginning. You also need to be talking about this with communities so they're not hearing about it after the fact. So all of those pieces are available um, through this through many resources that you have to offer. Uh, let's let's transition. Speaking of those reports, back to the uh, work-based learning report. And Corey, please feel free to to weigh in as well. But Laurie, um, when we think about that report that came out. Um, what is the importance of intermediaries and the community? We've kind of touched on that. So let's just, let's just dive into that for work-based learning. How does this also then impact educator roles? So what is the role of the community and those intermediaries? And then how does that impact educators when we look at that work-based learning report?
2: Yeah, well you can hear it in the story of LAUNCH where students are are creating their own projects, asking their own questions. So already the role of the educator is shifting, right? And it's driven by some of those interests and supporting it. And part of that then is also helping to say, well, where are the experts? Where are the opportunities in our community? And how do we connect you to it? So that can happen, right? When we rethink roles within the school building. And I think there's a role um, as we think about how do we how do we grow this right and provide access to more places for intermediaries to take on some of those roles, both in supporting the school to organize differently, but also making some of those connections to employers, to community partners, and then educating those partners as well about what makes a good experience. So I think that intermediary organizations can um, can can play a really important role in um, connecting um, in a coherent way. Um, Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, in terms of work-based learning, um, career-wise, Colorado is an example that has really led in youth apprenticeships and really creating the space for, um, you know, for students and apprenticeship by definition, right, is paid, right? So these are opportunities where students are learning and earning um, both their, you know, high school diploma, maybe even some like early um, college credits and their gaining employment skills. Um, and, you know, I think those are that's a model where having the connections is really helpful, right, because it builds some of the infrastructure. Uh, and the roles need to change at the school, too. I think the other piece that I would, the connection I would make is that this is just one example of the kind of learning that could show up, right, could be credited, right, as Um, working towards one of the iron essential eight or whatever your competencies are called to say, oh, I had to communicate for for my work in this way. And here's how I grew. And here's my evidence. And I can do that right on the job. I can do that for a project, right, that happened and originated at the school, but connected me to the outside world. And so, Um, thinking about looping back to the credential piece, right? This is another example of how learning is happening everywhere, but if we don't have any way to kind of capture it and bring attention to it, sometimes it doesn't, it gets lost, right? And we don't value it.
0: Corey, I think you were pulled in there because you were highlighted. You want to talk a little bit more about how you capture that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've found with working with our partners when it comes to Iron School District or, or specifically at Launch High School, that some of the partners don't have enough bandwidth or time to offer maybe a full-fledged internship or something where they're going to have a young student in their midst all the time, enough work for them to do or enough time to provide that kind of level of commitment. However, they are very interested in getting the input of students and uh, working with them. So at Launch High School, we'll have many partners of organizations and local businesses who come in and showcase a problem that they need help working on. Uh, They pitch that problem to our students Give them whatever resources and constraints they have, and our students can work on that for a series of a quarter or, or a semester, and then return back and pitch their solutions back to those businesses. And that kind of real world problem solving that's grounded in the work of uh, what I would consider work based learning is certainly a part of how you could achieve some of those competencies, as Laurie was mentioning, you know, that and that's the work that they might be willing to highlight on their master transcript or other credential. So I, I just think it's an important opportunity that we have to connect with as many partners as, will, as are willing and on whatever scale they're willing to give their time, whether it's a simple, hey, we've got this problem, can you help us, to we want to take on an intern for you know the next six weeks or more.
0: Wonderful. And isn't this essentially at the heart of competency-based learning, right? When we have this kind of transparency, where it can take us and where communities can get involved. I love that you're both highlighting it. I mean, I know there's a lot of state work out there, like like you said, real-world learning, even in Kansas City, across two states with what they call market value assets. There's a wonderful opportunity that's coming up, and people just see how quickly and how easily having competency-based learning principles fit in that, and that that actually invites other stakeholders to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree and want to elevate. Right. It's, some of it is about bringing these pieces together and there's not a single right way. Right. So what is right for your community? But how do you really foster as you involve your community and your teachers and your stakeholders? How do you foster this mindset of the bigger picture? Right. There's multiple pathways for learners. But let's all be let's be very Uh, intentional and coherent about where we want to bring them. We want them to have this broader set of skills and however they get there, we want, we want them to have these different experiences so that it doesn't become, um, oh, I'm going to do real world learning over here. And I'm going to just sit in the classroom over here. It's a much more integrated um, mindset, I think, and figuring out what that looks like for your community. And then thinking about how, um, how there's a lot more, um, choice and for students to navigate and explore and figure out those applications it's not the traditional like oh, okay you're in the cd program you're over here you're in the academic program you're over here but how we really say like everyone needs to know how this learning applies and we really want learners to have that um, agency um, and that that's both part of the process and it's an outcome um, of education and what better way than to actually explore you know how this is happening in the world and being able to um, learn, you know, maybe what you want to do, but maybe also what you don't want to do, but also then to develop skills that um, you can take from one context to the next.
0: Mm -hmm. Wonderful agency. And we want them to lead their life because what they think they want to know how to do now certainly could change. And certainly the market could as well. Um, Thank you both so much. What I love about what you've shared today is how many other resources and schools and systems were used even in your own journey and how we're all working together and and feeding that, that work across the country. And, and as Aurora does capture that also internationally, as was mentioned, thank you both for joining us. Um, Listeners can find out more certainly at Aurora institute.org, especially at the competency works, works blog page. Um, and we hope to also see you at the Aurora Institute Symposium. I'll be there, looking forward to it in person in Palm Springs, which takes place October 15th through 17th of this year. Thank you both so much.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about got a topic or a guest in mind, send your recommendations to me, Mason, at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing,
0: don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.